us, what you've done for us out of your great love and mercy. Father, we are a grateful people. We are people who've been ransomed. Uh, we've been redeemed. Uh, and it was not our choice. It wasn't our decision. It was something you did on our behalf. So, Father, we are, uh, we are yours, and uh, we are grateful. Full of praise, Lord, I pray, and, and thanksgiving and, and honor and glory for you, I pray. Lord, help us remember what you've done on our behalf, and Lord, may it affect every aspect, every area of our lives. Lord, I pray now uh, for marriages, relationships in our, in our church body, that Lord, our, our, even our, our marriages, our, our relationships with each other would be affected by what you've done for us. Um, Lord, it's, it's good and right. It means that, that your love and your, uh, your forgiveness has taken hold of our lives when we begin to see uh, changes occur in our lives, the way that we treat our spouse, the way that we treat our children, the way that we see other people. And uh, Lord, we pray for that kind of manifestation of your word and your spirit in us. Lord, we pray. We ask you, Lord. It's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, kiddos, if you'd like to be dismissed for Children's Church, you can follow, follow Carl out the back. Maybe Jennifer. Maybe Jennifer. All right, let's get going. Um, as those kids are heading out, let me just start with a little bit of a, a story this morning. Um, Y'all know we've, uh, Brent and I have had kind of a rough couple of weeks or uh, maybe a little longer now, but um, Brent had a little surgery uh, a couple of weeks ago now. And uh, let me tell you, we had a horrible week last week. And, um, and actually, it, it uh, wound up where I had things going on at work and I couldn't be at work and I had things going on at home and I couldn't get it all done at home. And and uh, Brenda just felt bad, couldn't help or, or get much done herself. And um, I kind of uh, lost it one day and, and lost my temper and, and uh, threw a little fit like a, like a three-year-old. And I'm proud of that. Um, not really. Um, but I wanted to share that with you. You know, Brenda and I talk about all the time about how God has redeemed, has saved our marriage. He truly has. Um, but it's a continuing act of saving. You know, um, we are redeemed, but we're continually being uh, sanctified. You know, we are saved, but we are continually being saved, and, and the same is true in our marriage. Um, but I want to go back about uh, 10 years now or something like that. I think it's been about 10 years, um, and just tell you a little bit about what was going on with us um, to start the sermon this morning. Um, Brenda and I had had years of marriage trouble. I think it was about seven years where we, is that about right, babe? Um, it was about seven years where um, we could not get along, and um, um, it, it just didn't work. We couldn't get along. We didn't understand each other. Um, we kept offending each other. I would do something or she would do something, and somehow we would take offense at it. We were walking on eggshells around each other all the time. Um, uh, we were both hurt by each other's actions and, and inactions and, and what we, we felt was a lack of love or commitment to each other. Um, and at the same time, we both felt like we were doing, like I felt like I was doing everything I possibly could to work on our marriage and that she was doing nothing. Turns out she felt the same way, that she was doing all the work in our marriage and I was doing nothing. You know, it's kind of funny how that deception can happen, self-deception. Um, uh, but we felt like the other one wasn't putting anything into our marriage and eventually we quit trying. Eventually we quit working and eventually we just, we just stopped. And we just said, well, apparently this is as good as it's going to get. And we lived in discord, and we just decided, you know, we had individually before even we were married, we just decided divorce was not something that we were going to be a part of. And, uh, and so we refused to divorce. Um, but uh, stubbornly, thank God, honestly, um, we should all have that same uh, opinion, actually. 
but um, we refused to divorce and we would stay together for our children. And somehow staying together for the kids felt right and righteous. But I want to tell you this morning, um, we went to a, a marriage conference and we learned in that marriage conference that allowing discord and allowing and stopping working on our marriage was walking in sin, was walking contrary, it, it's, it was walking in disobedience to everything that God desired to happen in our, in our marriage. Are you with me? Um, we had given up, and we were reminded that day that uh, if you're giving up on your marriage, you're walking in sin. Um, it was a revelation to us both. We thought that, well, this is just us. It's just our marriage, and it's not affecting anyone else. Well, if you know, you think that when you're when you're married and you're in the middle of of the of the heat of the battle, but obviously you're affecting your children, whether you want to admit it or not. Uh, but it's also you're 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 also affecting your relationship with God. You're also affecting what His design is for your marriage. And uh, I want to be very humble before you this morning and tell you that Brent and I, um, our marriage has been saved, but our marriage is being saved continually. Um, and it is only by the grace of God that we are together today. I, I, I want to tell you, it's nothing that we've done, nothing that we've learned, not some secret knowledge except that uh, obedience to what the Scripture has to say about marriage. Um, so anyway, what I've got for the next couple of weeks, we're just, you know, I, I often take a longer time, four to six weeks to talk through uh, a, a marriage series. But here today and next week is all I'm going to do uh, just before Valentine's Day. Man, it's next week, Sunday. Okay. Um, but, but, but these next couple of weeks, I just want to take the time and uh, I need to write that down, actually. Um, take some time and just talk about marriage and, um, and talk about God's, uh, God's interested in your marriage. He's, he has concern for your marriage. He has a vested interest in your marriage. And uh, I want to talk to you about that today. Um, well, I'll tell you what we learned at the conference is that God's plan for marriage was that there was to be unity there uh, like no other relationship on earth. That there is to be an intimacy and a companionship in marriage that can't be found any other place. And let me say something to all you uh, single brothers and sisters. Uh, marriage is a glorious and joyous uh, work. It really is. It, it's something that is to be aspired to. It's something that is to be desired, unless you've been called specifically by God to be single. But it, it's a beautiful and a wonderful thing. Um, let's see. I, I'm trying to, I want to jump ahead of myself real bad, but I'm going to try to be really disciplined here and just get, go, go through here. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to... Uh, I'm going to try to uh, try to stay focused. Okay, um, we we came to the understanding that 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 allowing discord to remain in our marriage was walking in sin, and uh, and God has a design for for marriage. And listen, I want to tell you very specifically, God has a design for your marriage. This is not something that is specific to people who are Christians and who are uh, who are following God. Although, oh my goodness, does that make it actually possible? Um, God's design for marriage is designed for every one, every single one. Um, and uh, anyway, we're going we're gonna to talk about that here. Um, anyway, we've got a slide. God's, God has designed marriage to be the closest human re- relationship. It's to be characterized by love, unity, and companionship. Well, this sounds something very similar to what I might say if we were, I was uh, doing a, a wedding this morning. Wouldn't it? But um, let me, let's go back to the beginning, literally, the book that is the beginning. 
Genesis. Would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2? We're going to read verses 23 through 25. Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. This is the first mention of marriage, and of course it's between the first people, so that makes some sense, doesn't it? Uh, What has happened in Genesis chapter 2 is God has created Adam and Eve, and at the end of that, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, it says this, The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Let me back up just a little bit, and I want to express to you about what this this actual this passage of scripture, the very first mention of marriage, has to say about what it is and what it means. And I want you to notice how very much it has to say about the unity and the closeness between Adam and Eve, the unity that's supposed to be there between these two. Okay. First of all, in just the verses just above there, we know what happened was that God took and He opened Adam and He took a rib from his side, and he created woman, right? Okay. All right. So what, what does that mean is that they were, he was made from, she was made from, I should say, she was made from man's side, right? From right here she was made. Does that tell you anything? Is that there's a closeness and a unity that is there between man and woman that started with the very first man and woman and continues still to this day. That is, the, that is a picture, a reflection about what marriage is supposed to be like. We're supposed to be like joined at the hip is what we would say today. We're supposed to be right here together in unity and companionship. Um, they're also, obviously, they were made from the same material, right? Uh, uh, Adam says, uh, she is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, uh, meaning that they were made from the same material. Of course, obviously, they weren't like any of the other, she wasn't like any of the other creatures in all of creation. She was unique because she was like him, made of the same material, yeah, made in the same material. All right. The next thing is, his, he says, uh, what's a man supposed to do? He's supposed to leave the next closest relationship that he'll ever have, his relationship with his father and his mother, and go to be what? United with his wife. Okay, now l- let, me, let me say just a moment. Can I, uh, you know, maybe that's not appropriate. Never mind, I'm sorry. I won't share something that we were talking about the other day. The, the cl- one of the closest relationships we see, matter of fact, in, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a little later in, in the story of Abraham and Isaac where it talks about Abraham loved Isaac, and God asked him to sacrifice him, you'll remember. But um, that mention is the first mention of the word love in the Scriptures, and that's kind of significant. It means that really there's, there's, not, there's, there's like no greater love than a man would have than for his son. It is a, unique, um, it is a very unique um, uh, relationship. And yet we see here uh, in this relationship is that a man is supposed to leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. There's a leaving and then there's a cleaving, as it says in the King James Version, with, with the wife. Uh, it's like no other relationship on earth. There's nothing else like it than marriage. Uh, there's nothing else like it. All right, um, next is um, he is to be, of course, united with his wife, and it ends beautifully in this verse like poetry, doesn't it? And the two shall become one flesh. They shall be like one being, like one person together. A beautiful picture about what marriage is supposed to be. Okay. Now, judging from what God's design is here for this relationship, 
how does yours rate? This is tough, isn't it? This is harder to do. I mean, it's a beautiful picture. It's an incredible thing that these two people who are very different and very distinct suddenly are supposed to come together and they're supposed to be like companions and and, in complete unity together. And it's very hard to do uh, together, but we're going to get on to some of that in a little bit. Um, let me let me say something else while we're right here. Um, we live in a culture that and that the idea of marriage has changed significantly over the last two generations. I think um, I I, uh, I I have the privilege of of marrying people um, occasionally. And a couple of years ago, a uh, year and a half ago, I got to marry a, a young young man, young woman, and she told me something that was very disturbing to me. Uh, she said that her friends were telling her that she shouldn't get married to this guy but that they should just cohabitate, that they should just live together. And, and because marriage is, after all, just a piece of paper and a formality and a ceremony, and what happens is if they continue to mature and, and grow apart, it'll just be, it'll just be easier to, to split if they need to. Um, uh, bad counsel, first of all. Uh, but also, it, it's, it's a frightening thing about how we've decided to view marriage in our society. But I, I just wanted you to know, and, and those of you who are younger than I am, you know that's already out there, is that people view marriage as a ceremony or a formality or a legal piece of paper. But what does it really mean to a relationship, right? If we just love each other, isn't that enough? Um, I, I'm telling you, it's not. Um, it's not enough. There's something very unique about two people who've come together and promised to be together for the rest of their lives. There's nothing like it. There's no power like that on the earth uh, than two people who have pledged, who have oathed to be together for the rest of their lives. And I tell you, if Brent and I hadn't had that, um, we would not be here today and our children would live in broken homes. We pledged to be together forever and we decided to honor our pledge whether it was uh, convenient or tough or miserable, we decided to do it, and it was miserable for years. I'll just tell you, it was. But if it hadn't been for the promise, if it hadn't been for the commitment, if it hadn't been for the pledge of marriage, we wouldn't have stayed together. Yeah. And today, let me tell you, I enjoy that woman. W- we have a good time together. We laugh together. We're best friends together. Uh, w- we have uh, we have a lot of fun together. Okay. Um. The truth is, is that God created marriage to be something amazing. And here we go. Here's where we're going to jump in. God created marriage to be a reflection of himself. And that's why this is important. That's why this is important. God created marriage to be unlike any other relationship on earth because it is unlike any relationship on earth. It is a reflection of what he is like. It's a reflection of him. And we're going we're gonna to jump into that next. Um, uh Jump back with me if you're in Genesis still. Jump back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says something just beautiful. The poetry in Genesis is just really amazing. That's the majority of the, of the book. So uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay? So somehow... Male and femaleness, gender, that we are individually, man and woman, and together, male and female, we are created in the image of God, okay? Now, track with me here for just a moment. I want you to look back just in Genesis chapter 1. I don't have this all up, but I want you to look through with me. Um, in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 9, 
it says that uh, God created uh, uh, water under the sky. He pulled it all together, and there was dry ground. And at the end of verse 10, it says, and God saw that it was good. Okay. And then it says in, in uh, verse 11 that he created land to produce vegetation. And in verse 12, and the Lord saw that it was good. And then he said, let there be lights to, in, the, in the expanse of the sky to separate day from night. And he created them. And in verse 18, God saw it, and it was good. Are you getting it? Okay. And then he, he created uh, water to team with living creatures and birds flying above the, the earth. And in verse 21, God saw it, and it was good. And in verse 24, and he let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. And in verse, the end of verse 25, God saw it, and it was good. Um, and in, let's skip over with me to chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord, I'm sorry, let me give you a minute. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Everything he had done was good. But when he made Adam without any Eve, he said, this is not good. This is not good. Uh, why, why was it not good for him to be alone? Because somehow in the likeness of God, there is unity and difference in the people in the Trinity of God. Let me ex- describe it a little bit this way. There is God, the Father, there's God, the Holy Spirit, and there is God, the Son, right? We believe that they are all equal in person. That is, they are equal in, in, in their substance, uh, that they are all equal, that they are all omnipotent, they are all, all powerful, they are all omnipresent, they are all everywhere at any given time. We believe that the Scripture teaches that they are all equal, but they are distinct and different people, all right? One person, but different people. Actually, the word person is a terrible description to use, but it's the one that's kind of uh, stuck with the church since about 215 A.D., uh, so we'll go with it. Um, uh, the three different people in one person, three different personalities in one person, you might say, uh, but, but there are three are one in one. They are very distinct in their role. They are very distinct in what they do, but they are all united together in one person in God, in the Godhead. All right? Okay. Why is this like marriage? Because you and your spouse are very distinct, very different people. You have very different roles, right, in the created order. But in marriage, you're to be unified in oneness. Yeah? You're to be unified in oneness. And believe it or not, that marriage is supposed to be a picture about what about what about how God is in His image. He's created us to be like Him. Now, listen. I'm not going to tell you that any day that you come over to the Crump's house, you'll open the door and the what what's that word? Uh, Shekinah glory of God will show from our marriage, and you'll be struck by the Trinity right there. Uh, it, listen, no, I'm not pretending that to be true. All right. Shekinah, that's pretty funny. I just came up with that. I'm sorry. Pretty amused with myself. Uh, I'll move on. Uh, This is what marriage is created to be a reflection of. It doesn't mean that Brenda and I are thinking of each other as, you know, I'm God the Father and she can choose to be, you know, Jesus or the Holy Spirit, either one. It's not like that. It's a reflection. It's, it's at what we find in the universe that, rem- that, that, is, that God has left as a reflection of himself. Are you with me? And I tell you, and let me tell you again, that is why unity in marriage is important. And can I tell you, it is more important for Christians than it is for non-Christians. 
Are, are you with me? See, if you go in and, ladies, and you're talking to your coworkers or your friends or your buddies, and you're bashing your husband about how lazy he is, about how he doesn't know, he's not romantic anymore, he's just terrible with you, and you look like your friends who are maybe unbelievers and your marriage looks just like them, what testimony is that? What testimony is there? But when you and I look at our marriage and say, my marriage was created to be something better and bigger and more united and in more harmony than what it is today, and I want to seek God and I want to find the truth and the wisdom of the Scripture to be more like that, that's a pretty good testimony. You with me? It points people to God. It points people to Jesus Christ. And, and let me tell you, let me point people to Jesus Christ this morning. Our marriage would have been over, would have been finished, would have been, I don't know what would have happened to us, but... Uh, one of us wouldn't be here today if God hadn't saved us, if God had not saved our marriage, and, uh, and he did it in a big way, and he can do it in any marriage, true? Our marriage was pretty bad, wasn't it? Hopeless, I would say. We'd completely given up. We tried and worked and worked for years and years and word, years and, and just didn't feel like it was going to happen. All right. Um, let's see. And, and let me say one more other thing. God is honored and glorified in your marriage when, there, when he finds unity there. I believe this to be true. You believe that? I believe that when we get this and we say that, yeah, that, that, that the unity of marriage, when it's there, that God is honored and glorified when we honor and, and Him and glorify Him by being in unity with our, with our spouse. I think He's honored by that. You know, I, we have this strange concept somehow in evangelical church that all of our life is supposed to be around spreading the gospel and reading scriptures. Well, can I tell you, God is also honored by your actions toward your husband or your wife. He's interested in this. Amen? It's how you live. It's not just spreading the gospel, and it's not just going to church every time the doors are open and being in your scripture and during your quiet time. He's also honored when you take time with your spouse and you share time together. Okay, all right, let's go on. Um, God enjoys, uh, per, we're going to read through these really quick. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. I want to show you just a, a picture of the Trinity this morning and, and, and show you what this is supposed to look like uh, or, wh- or why, we, why I say this about uh, how marriage is supposed to reflect our God. In John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, this is Jesus pr- praying, and he's, and he's coming, he's praying to the Father. And in John chapter 17, this is the, just before he'd be taken away, uh, arrested, and, 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 uh, and crucified the next day. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all the people, that he, he might give eternal life to all those who you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you from before the world began. So we see in this passage in, in John chapter 1, this really fascinating stuff when you get to see the members of the Trinity talking, isn't it? But uh, we get this little peek into glory and eternity and Shekinah glory. All right, something about that reminds me of uh, Southern Baptist, really South, South Southern Baptist Church. Okay, the, so the Father glorifies the Son, and the Son is glorifying the Father all the same time in the Godhead. The Son is saying glory to the Son, and the Son is saying glory to the Father, and they're giving and exchanging this glory within the Godhead to each other, freely giving glory and honor to each other. All right? In John chapter 16, uh, just before this passage, Uh, Jesus is still, he's speaking to his disciples, and he says, But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So what's he saying? He's saying the Holy Spirit's going to come, 
and he's going to guide you into truth. And then in the, the second part of that, the, in chapter 14, sorry, verse 14, he says, he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Okay, so who's doing what here? The Father gives the Son glory. The Son gives the Father glory. The Spirit comes alongside, and he says, I'm going to bring glory to the Son by showing people about what the Son has and what belongs to him. And so you have this, what C.S. Lewis called the great dance. That's pretty fantastic. What a brilliant man. Okay. Um, uh, the dance where each one, each member of the Trinity is glorifying and honoring each other freely and openly, where there is distinction and yet there is unity within the Godhead and each one bringing glory and honor to each other. Uh, really quickly, there, the, uh, the picture of the Trinity. Really pretty fascinating, amazing stuff. Um, and just as each member of the Trinity is distinct, men and women are distinct in their relationship with marriage, but in marriage they are together in unity. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful thing. Um, let's see. I've been through that. Um, let's see. In Genesis chapter 2, I want to show you this. Um, Genesis chapter, I'm sorry, the end of, of uh, chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. It's an interesting thing what happens in Genesis chapter 1. For Genesis chapter 1 uh, is the account of creation from day 1 through day 6. Genesis chapter 2 starts in, 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 uh, in day 7, but then goes back and kind of recounts what happened with Adam and Eve, all right? So we just read, it was not good. It was good for all this stuff to happen on creation. It was good, it was good, it was good, but it was bad for man to be alone. In John, I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, uh, here when he had just talked about in verse 27, he had said he had made made a, a man and female, he had created them. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. The word for good in, in Hebrew is bon, and it says here, and uh, everything was bon before, but this is bon bon, right? Where it was good, good, very good is how we translate it in English. I like that. All right, um, so here's the deal. You and I are, uh, Brent and I are equal in value. We are equal in substance. We are equal before God. We can go into a number of verses that talk about it. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, I want to say. Uh, but, uh, but today what I want to talk to you about is we, but we are very distinct people. You know, you can ask Brent his opinion about something, and, and it may be different than my opinion about something. Has that ever happened in your marriage? <laughs> Funny. That was good, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it happens, doesn't it? We see things very differently. Brenda sees things very emotionally. Matter of fact, we got to talk a little bit last night, and she was talking about kind of how she's feeling. And, and I'll tell you what, it's like, uh, it's like walking on the lunar landscape with me. Uh, you know, it, it's very, very foreign, very kind of alien to me about how she feels. And, and I listen, and I don't understand, and I pat her on the shoulder. I said, I'm sorry, or I'm glad, or, you know, whatever. And thankfully, in those circumstances, she's not looking for me to do anything, just to be listening. Thank God, because otherwise I'd be lost. Uh, but anyway, it's very funny. Very, very, very different individuals we are. Have you found this to be true? Okay, let me, here's the next question. Do you value the difference? I tell you, in our marriage, it took Brandon and I a long time to, to value the differences. Do you value the difference of your spouse? Let me tell you, here's the deal. She's very different from me, and there, there have been many times in my life where she'll say something or have an opinion about something that I'll roll my eyes. What are, what are you, are you serious? You really think that? You really want to go that direction? Yeah? Are you, you do that? Um, we are equal before God. We are equal before God. Man has a responsibility of authority in his home, uh, but he also should not be a fool 
and should listen and hear and anticipate that she is there as not only a companion, not only a friend, but someone who helps to complete you because you're a lousy sinner. And so is she. And you need each other to come to something that's somewhere close to right and good, right? You're corrupted by sin. Your viewpoint from your fallen mind is no better than hers, yeah? That's why someone came to Jesus and they said, hey, good teacher. And he said, why do you call me good? God alone is good, right? Uh, Because no one else, no one here on earth is good. All of us are are wrecked by sin and corrupted, and we need each other to balance each other out. Have you come to respect and, and, and even appreciate the differences in the way that you think and your spouse thinks? You better, or you know what, you're just a fool. I'll just tell you, you're just a fool. Um, Sorry. Uh, Okay, moving on. Uh, In in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is is the part where it's just very obvious here uh, about how our marriages are really are supposed to reflect uh, the image of our maker. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul writes something really pretty amazing. He says, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. That's not surprising, right? The head of every man is Christ. What does that mean? That Christ is in authority over every man, okay? And the head of the woman is man, okay? The head of the woman is man. That means, we say it very plainly, the the one in authority in the home is the man. It is the biblical design. It is the design of creation, and you can't get away from it. No matter how much anyone might want to apologize for this kind of writing in the Scriptures, this writing is in the Scriptures, and it is true. Let me, let me tell you, women, uh, I, I know a lot of women take offense at this, and we try not to preach about it very much, uh, but let me tell you, I say we, whoever, someone tries not to preach about it very much. Uh, um, I, I don't mind. Um, because it's true. It's in the, it's in the Word. When, when God came and He spoke to Adam, He said, to one of them, he said, you should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Who did he approach? Adam. He was by himself. The woman wasn't there. And he, held, he said to Adam, you will not. You shall not. And it was Adam's responsibility to pass that on, of course, to his wife. Whether he did or not, we don't know. We know she ate of the fruit of the tree of the good and evil. And, of course, here we are today. Thank you very much, Adam and Eve. All right. Whenever God came back and they had eaten the, the tree of the, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil and, and God came to them, who did he come to first? He came to Adam and he said, what have you done? You see, it's not just that we're in a place of authority. It's that men are in a place of responsibility over their homes. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a frightening place, honestly, to be responsible for everything that goes on in your house, isn't it? Uh, women... God has placed for you a covering there that your husband is to be responsible over your home. And he is to be a covering over you. He is to be a loving, caring husband over you. We're going to talk about that a whole lot more next week. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it today. So don't be offended by the scriptures when it says that that the man is the head of the woman. Okay? Because Jesus Christ is the head of me and he's the head over every woman also. Are you offended at that? No. No, we shouldn't be offended at that. I'm glad Jesus Christ is my authority. I'm glad to have him there because apart from him, I'm bound for hell. All right? Okay? All right. 
Let's continue. Uh, the, so the, the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. What's he saying there? That, 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 that even Jesus is under the authority of the, of the Father. He is head. The Father is head over Jesus Christ. And just like that, the, the, the husband is to be the head over uh, the wife. All right? Now, you're going to have to come back next week to let me explain to you how all this works. But, but this is it. This is it. This is the reflection of what it's supposed to be like, where there are different people, the father and the son, the father in authority over the son, and the, and the husband in authority over the wife, and yet somehow they are equal together and equal in value and equal in purpose and equal before God. Are you with me? All right, let's, uh, let's march on. I'm sorry, I've got just a couple more things to say and we'll be done. The differences in between men and women are very good when they come together in unity. It is very good. You know, it happens to Brent and I all the time. I am so sorry. I'm running a little bit late, but I, I promise you'll just hang with me for a couple more minutes. We're going to wrap up. Um, there happens all the time where Brent and I will talk. The kids uh, need to be punished for something, and so I will uh, lay down the law for their punishment. And uh, it is like wrath of God, thunder, lightning, and earthquake. Not really. Uh, Brenda often, though, comes aside, alongside me, and she says, are you sure that wasn't too rough? And I tell you, we ha- I have a tendency, well, we both share it, I guess, a little bit. Sometimes I'm too rough, sometimes she's too rough. But we have, that, we have that space that apart from the children, we can go and we can discuss it. Apart from the children, did you hear me say that? Apart from the children, we can go and we can discuss what we think is appropriate for the punishment of our kids. Yeah? No? Okay. I value her input. And she values mine even more. Okay. <clears throat> all right. Um, so here we go. So, uh, okay, all of this is great theory, David. Uh, uh, this is great stuff. I understand I'm supposed to have unity in my marriage, but you don't know my marriage. Uh, I know my marriage. I know what it's been like. And I know there's some very simple practices that you can put in place if you've got the right heart and the right attitude and the right submission to God as a man and a woman to say, I'm going to do differently than I've done in the past. Are you with me? Okay, here they are. The very first thing, how to build unity in your marriage. One is, first is, communicate every day. Communicate. And I don't mean just like talk on the stuff, hey, how you doing? How's your day? It's been busy. I'm busy here at work too. Yeah, okay, great to talk to you. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Communicate. And let me tell you, communicate to connect every day. You know what I mean? There's a difference between I'm going this way and she's going this way, and we say, hey, how are you doing? Great. Got to take the kids to school. Got to go to soccer practice, all this other stuff. I understand that. I understand that life is busy, but communicate to, to connect every single day. It, for Brent and I, I'll go home uh, in the day. I'll hug the kids, and, and I'll hug them all, and I'll say hello, and then I'll go. She's usually in the kitchen uh, uh, making something glorious for us for dinner, and I'll give her a hug, and I'll, say, and I'll tell the kids, let me go talk to your mom for a minute, and we'll spend five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, something every day communicating and connecting after our busy day. You just got to do it. Otherwise, you don't know where each other's at. You don't know where each other are. You just have to make that a practice in your home, connect, communicate every day. The, the next thing is continue dating. Listen, I, man, we're terrible at this, but you got to keep courting your wife. You, you can't stop courting her. You can't stop making time and, and spending intimate time together where you go to some place, maybe, if you've got a little money, and you say, uh, table for two, please, right? That's a, those are important words to come out of your mouth. But it doesn't have to always be a date date. It can be, you know, let's run together. Let's go, let's go for a walk around the block. Let's spend some time. Let's let the kids watch a movie, and let's just spend some, some time uh, talking in the bedroom uh, or, or out on the front porch or whatever. The next thing is, is this. You're going to have disagreements. 
right? Has anyone in their marriage ever had a disagreement? You're going to have disagreements. You're going to see things differently. I won't tell you what I just I won't tell you what I just saw. I don't want to don't want to get anybody in trouble. Uh, in disagreements. But listen, let me tell you, you have to work and find common ground. Let me tell you very specifically, uh, very simply, uh, one aspect. It happens all the time where you have saved up a little bit of money or you're planning on saving up a little bit of money and the wife says, I think we ought to spend that money on this and the husband says, I think we ought to spend it on that. Money, money issues, money, money disagreements happen in every marriage, happen almost every day, don't they? They do. So let me tell you this. What happens a lot of times is that you won't agree on how to spend the money, and so you'll never save it. Effective, huh? No. Stupid. Foolish. No, no, no. You find common ground. You, you stop and you say, okay, you want to do this with the money, and I want to do this with the money, but here's what we're going to do. Let's save some money. Can we agree to save some money? And then say, oh, yeah, I can agree. I think we need to save some money because there are some things that we want to do. Start and you find common ground together. You can back up enough, whether it's a disagreement on how you handle your children, whether, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, whether, what, you know, what work, what money, what you do with money, you can find common ground, but you have to work at it. And you can say, okay, we're not there yet that we can spend the money anyway. Let's just agree today that we're going to save it, all right? And then let's pray to God for, for guidance on what we're going to do. Next thing is this. Um, Seek counsel when an issue is too big to work out on your own. Don't be, I know it's embarrassing. You know, Brenda and I went around. She had asked me to go for counseling for about how long, babe? To my honor and discredit. Um, for years had asked me to go to counseling. I was too proud, honestly, uh, to go. I, w- I didn't want to do it. Finally, whenever um, Brenda was to the point where she quit trying, that's when I got a little panicked. And I said, hey, why don't we go to counseling? Uh, you know, smart, sharp guy as I am. Um, I, I was scared at that point because she had never quit before. She had never stopped trying. Um, and finally, I kind of came around and, and realized it. But listen, if you don't deal with your problems, if you don't deal with your disagreements, what happens to them? They will grow and they will get larger and larger. And if you let those go for years, it may be such a tangled mess of hurt and misunderstanding and, and, and anger and bitterness that you can't handle it, just you two. It happens in marriage. I don't know, maybe everyone. Okay? When you find yourself in that place, don't quit. You find someone else who can give you some perspective and ask you to step back and very calmly and very, very in a very safe place, and you start pulling those disagreements and the bitterness and the anger apart so that you can start dealing with them one by one and not 500 at a time so that you're so overwhelmed that you don't know what to do, and you seek counsel and you don't be embarrassed to do it because what you're doing is godly. Are you with me? All right. All right. Marriage is not just a ceremony or piece of paper. It was designed by God from the beginning to be a reflection of himself. We'll never be a perfect image of our creator, and we're not supposed to. But we're supposed to recognize that the the unity in our marriage, the distinction of people, yet the unity together in marriage is supposed to be a reflection of what our God is like, and it honors him when we act that way. Are you with me? With me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, Lord God. We thank you for marriage. Lord, it is a beautiful, beautiful picture. It is a companionship that's supposed to last all of our lives. And Lord, so many people today come from broken homes, come from marriages that have, been, uh, that have ended in divorce and pain and agony. And Lord, it is hard sometimes for us to see the value in marriage.
But Father, we know you've created a marriage for a greater purpose. We know that you've created it for a good and even for a joy that we might find great joy and that you might be honored and glorified in our, in our relationship with our spouse. Lord, bring greater obedience, bring greater submission, I pray, uh, to the area of marriage in our lives. Help us to realize, Father, that it is, it is to be a reflection of, of our image of you. We ask this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. I am so sorry I kept you so late today. I promise I won't do it next week. But y'all have a great week. Come back up at 5 if you want to uh, fellowship a little bit. And uh, y'all have a great week. Love you.